Welcome to Indie Dotes, the podcast that shares the stories of independent creators. I'm your host, Susan Bond. Today I have Nadia Oduayo. I think I said that okay. Not bad. (laughs) (laughs) Not not bad. I'll totally take not bad. It's like the worst part of recording for me is that I'm terrible about pronouncing anyone's name because I have the world's easiest last name in the world, so I've (laughs) never had to learn it. I'm so lucky. So anyway, I'm so happy to have Nadia on the show today. She is um, one half of Ignition Works, which is a consultancy and a product shop, and she also does... Uh, Ruby Book Club with Saranya Barak, who's also been on our show, and she's uh, also a speaker. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Very excited. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. So before we get into, I know we want, we want there's something I want to talk to you about in particular today, but I'd love to tr- uh, just have, hear a little bit more about what you do at Ignition Works. Yes, so Ignition Works is just me and my business partner, Theo Cushion. And we originally, we were both engineers at Pivotal, Pivotal Labs, and we decided to leave to work on some of our own projects. And the the ethos was meant to be, let's make sure that we're working on worthwhile software products that we find fun to work on and that we can sustain a living for ourselves. And, you know, as typically happens, we've gone through a few projects, our own products that have failed. Um, But we're currently... Um, working as we're doing a a consulting project and we're helping to deliver a cloud platform in an enterprise company. So that's very interesting because we've gone into an environment where we have thousands of customers already and they're all keen um, to use this platform. And so we're we're offering like this platform as a service um, or, or platform as a product rather. And so it's just got interesting um, different technical challenges than what we're used to when you're just building a web app Um, but we're really enjoying it and we're considering maybe um, we should focus in on working with teams that are offering this kind of um, product or service uh, to other developers and um, working with them to to be effective and to make sure that they're delivering a great service to, to other developers who work in these enterprise environments. Yeah it takes time to figure out what you you really want to focus on sometimes in a consultancy, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, for us, um, what Theo and I are trying to do is approach it as we're running a business, but what's the kind of lifestyle? What do we want to get out of it? So you know. And, and then we're trying to see, okay, the projects available to us or the opportunities available to us, how do they fit in with that? So one of the things that we're currently focusing on is, you know, working with enterprise companies is very lucrative, which means we don't need to work five days a week. So can we find models where we're working three days a week and we've got two days in the week to, to hack on projects and ideas, things that we don't necessarily want to not work to take a punt on because they're not fully fledged product ideas or, or, or big things like that, or they need some thinking. But if we had the space to to play around with some ideas who knows what we're going to find as opposed to trying to force a product idea um, um right perhaps- because you need to make money right right if you if you had to make money off of it you'd might maybe force your product idea Oh yeah, or rather, for example, we've been in situations before where we've worked on products that we thought were interesting, but they haven't come out of a real pain or a real need, and so, um, but we have a pot of money from previous consulting, which then runs down, so... So we're saying you can't really come up with products that way, but perhaps if you crafted a company where you were doing interesting consulting work that wasn't five days a week, 
um, and you had two days of relaxed time where there's no pressure because your your pot's not running down because the the consulting that you're doing on the other days is lucrative enough and so without any pressure you could um, play around with certain ideas you don't need to worry about will this make money because at the very worst case you just con- continue um, doing these um, short-term engagements for part of the week that's really smart was that how you guys started the business thinking about that no we started the business okay. thinking we need to find our product that's going to sustain us five days a week and sustain our lifestyles um, wow. but we realized we, you know we had a couple of failures we had a couple of um, teams that didn't work out well so maybe we were going to collaborate with some people that we'd met along the way and we realized the relationship wasn't working so for all manner of reasons our past project projects have failed um, or products rather And so we got to the point where we had some consulting opportunities and we started to realize that we didn't want to build a consultancy. So a lot of people were like, well, just build a consultancy. There's money in that. But we realized it's not just the money um, because it was just the money. We would have started a consultancy already. And um, because the the field that we're working in, like cloud platforms, it's very lucrative. Um, But that just didn't excite us. And so we realized, no, we don't want to build a consultancy, but it's fine if our company as part of its um, income stream does do consulting, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's really smart. It's, it, it's really fascinating to hear how people conceive their work when they go independent and they ha- how they go about really getting the idea of what that model looks like for them. And it's really centered, I think, a lot around values or impact you want to have. Yeah, that's something that you know, Thea and I always think about first, which is what do we value? What are we aiming for? You know, of course we want to make money and be successful, but that's not that's not the first thing because there are many other opportunities or paths that we would have gone down by now. So we just had our two year anniversary last week. Um, oh, so, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. But we're still at the point where we haven't got a clear direction. Um, but it's not for want of opportunities so we've had some opportunities presented to us like to build consultancies in certain spaces but we've just sort of said no because we realize it doesn't feel right to us and so we're sort of at the point where we're like well let's keep going and make sure that it always feels right and if it stops feeling right then we should stop and ask ourselves what we're doing and what 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 the point of it was because ultimately the reason why we um uh the reason why we we left our jobs was to be able to craft and have some control in the kind of lifestyle that we we crafted. Well, it's interesting because I I feel like a lot of folks, going back to that idea, what you said about feeling right, Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. A lot of times it seems as if where we can get off track is where we're thinking, you know, like like it's like looks good on paper, right? Or this is what we're supposed to do rather than saying, how does this feel to me? How do I feel when I'm doing this work? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's it. And it's it's, it's what I used, you know, when I was um, at Pivotal, um, every day I would go in at the beginning and, and feel happy and not worry about the time or not think about you know you know what's next or is it, is it six o'clock yet um but I realized there was a period of time you know a year and a half in when I'd been on the same project for a while and I started to think you know I started to think to myself this doesn't feel right you know that's what I started thinking about maybe I want something else now out of my career and so yeah I've learned that you know if something's not feeling right there's a reason why and you should always investigate that well, 100%. I mean, I recently went through that 
so for I, I repositioned my business, mm. you know, recently because things were not feeling right, and I was working prim- primarily focusing on sort of solopreneurs, but really underneath it all, who I, what, it wasn't feeling right. Like I got to this creative rut; it just wasn't really happy, and and it was all about that feeling, right? It just something wasn't feeling right, and so I stepped back for a, a, a little bit, I don't know, it was a few weeks or something, and I recognized that what I really loved were technical experts. Those were really all of my clients, and that's really mm. who I loved the most. That's who I enjoyed mm-hmm. working with, um, and I can I classify that kind of broadly, but, but when I realized that, I, I immediately, I shifted the business within, I think I shifted everything within like two weeks. I mean, it was a pretty fast turnaround. Once I recognized, I was like, oh yeah, this feels so much better. And I will tell you since then, I feel so much happier with my work. It's funny when you come to the realization that this is what I need to do, the turnaround is often pretty quick. Right. It's just sometimes the, the period leading up to it, you're like, there might be fear because it's you know you're going in uncertain territory like if I do this you know can I go back and I think you people often realize that once they've made the change it's like why didn't I do it sooner and and sometimes it's not necessarily why didn't I do it sooner because sometimes it's just a case of certain things had to happen before you would realize that how it currently was wasn't right if that made sense um but uh um but yeah then you realize sometimes that you know, if you change and it still doesn't feel right, or you realize that what you had before was was fine, but you just need to do it slightly differently, then you can always change again. So it's just also understanding like the cost of change. It's often better to try um, to, to switch things up, even if that just is confirmation that the way you were doing things before was indeed the, the right way. I love the that idea. Yeah. I love that idea of the cost of change. Um, and we think about like sunk cost, right? Like, oh, I've already been yes. doing this, so I, you know, I don't want to stop. And the sunk cost fallacy, right? It, it, I mean, it it hits all of us, mm. right? And and I think sometimes we get so busy just doing, 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 we don't actually step away to say, wait, how does this feel? And could there be another way? Like giving space, like uh, giving space for things sometimes can allow you to really surface what you are feeling about something. Right? Is it working? Is it not? Do I like this? Is this creatively energizing to me? And we, I think we can begin to realize we have more choices. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So that's 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 sort of like what I've been through recently. And I will tell you, I mean, there's still things I'm figuring out. I mean, I feel like there's logistically things that are still a bit of a mess on my home, yeah, on my website. <laughs> but mm. but I don't care. I mean, I just I was like, oh, yeah, I'm flipping the switch. I'm going forward, and it's been a really amazing journey, and I'm really really happy. I I get up every day now, and I'm excited about my work. Um, and that's, that's great. I mean, I really, I didn't, there's nothing wrong with the other audience. It just wasn't mm-hmm. exciting me. It wasn't, it really, and, and the truth was I was always really working with technical experts. I just thought I was doing something else, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Isn't it more, <laughs> is, isn't it more you've refined your scope? Like you had a wider yeah. pool before, but now you've just focused in. It's true. It, it, it's true. I mean, well, and I widened and both, um, narrowed at the same time. So it was, what I recognized was it was working with technical experts and what how I broadened it what I realized was that it wasn't about whether they worked for themselves or whether they worked for somebody else it was about technical experts because a lot of times they go back and forth mm-hmm. between working for themselves and working for other people yes um, right it, it it's it's very uh it's, it's, it's not, fluid. Yeah, it's very fluid. Exactly. It's ex- extremely fluid. And a lot of it is because they're trying to have impact. 
and they're trying to grow and learn. And they sometimes that situation is for themselves and sometimes it's for somebody else. So um, anyway, it's been such a great journey. I love that you're just bringing up that whole idea of like um, feelings and then like the cost of change. That it really, it really resonates with me. Oh, great. So the thing that I, I, I actually love, because our conversation is leading into what I want to talk to you about today, which is that, um, so, you know, you do, I, I'm going to tell you, tell you something that you know you do, but you dance on, the, uh, I don't know, I was going to say on the side, but I mean, I think it's like pretty big part of your life. Well, it's funny you should say that because this weekend I was part of a dance shoot. So <gasps> I was Ooh. in, so I'm in London and we went bound by the South Bank area, which is um, near the River Thames. And we went into the skate park. So there's all this graffiti around and there were lots of skaters. The smell of uh, weed was very strong in the air. <laughs> um, and we just did this dance shoot, which we'd, we'd learned the routine over the week. So they had rehearsals in the place of normal class. You could choose to go to the, the dance video classes. And that was where you were learning bits of the same routine again and again. Then on Saturday morning, we had a two hour rehearsal. And by that point, it had been whittled down to 20 people who were doing the video. And then Sunday morning, we turned up and we filmed this video shoot in, in three hours. And it, what was brilliant and we might go into this in more detail later, is that I was outside dancing and there were people, you know, being filmed. There were people, tourists and people who live in London going by and they probably looked over and saw these uh, 19 women and one guy, we had one guy in our group, uh, oh, dancing and probably thought, look at those dancers. And what's fascinating is, okay, yes, you know what I do. I'm a, I'm a software engineer, a product person and also a conference speaker. Um, but we have people who are from such different backgrounds and industries, none of us are dancers. And I just had this moment where I saw these onlookers taking pictures um, and they probably just thought we were all dancers. That's so, that's so great. I, I, love, I, I love that story. Um, amidst the graffiti and all of the, you know, the, the people going by. And so when, uh, when is the video gonna be coming out like publicly or was it a private video or? It's going to be coming out publicly in two to three weeks. Um, the, the dance company that I dance with, um, which actually helped to found, interestingly, so that's another story, um, and is, um, is going to release it on their channels. And then it'll just be, I guess, spread as far as as wide as um, our individual networks will take it. Oh, great. I hope that um, we can have, uh, we'll have, we'll have a link for the video on the show. I think it'll, I'm, we'll, uh, it'll be out by then, right? I think if we, if we don't publish for another month or so, we should be... Oh, it'll definitely be out. Oh, good. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes so everybody can see uh, the video of you dancing. Mm. So excited! I hope it comes out well. <laughs> I've seen I've seen previews and it looks really good because we had some of us were filming on our phones if we weren't in that take, and it looks really good. Oh, cool! And how long is the video? So it's going to be like a couple of minutes. Isn't it interesting? So it took three hours to film two minutes, and it, right. it takes an incredible amount of time because you've got to change, you know, change the people, and you know, exactly scenes. do transitions, make sure because if, if there's any one big mistake, we might have to take the, the do the take again. Um, the, the the camera guy. Even if let's assume that the take goes well, the camera guy then wants to do handheld, wants to do like different types of camera. So there's all that as well. Then there's not only the dance bits, there's the story bits in between, just like a music video. So we've got a story. Um, the the song we're dancing to is Rihanna's 
bitch better have my money <laughs> and so there's this we had uh, um a guy come and play the part of the you know the the man who owes us money and so we had to film the little story bits in between where you know he turns up saying you know what's the problem and we're saying you you've got our money and then there's another bit where he's tied up at the end um and we're all dancing around him so all that kind of stuff are also the bits in between that you have to film Right, right. There's so many different transitions. Well, so I want to take us back to how did you get started in dance? Like, where did this, uh, I, I don't remember when I started seeing dance show up on your Instagram channel, but how did you get into this? How did this start? There was definitely a lag in between me starting to dance and me posting videos on Instagram. <laughs> and that is a whole other thing in and of itself, because I still get nervous about doing that. But um, I, so what happened was when I was younger, um, I would watch, you know, if I saw dance, choreographed dance, either on TV or in films or out and about or music videos, um, things like that. I would always watch that and be like, oh, I wish I could dance like that. That's that's cool. I could always just, you know, dance freely, like, you know, just how you dance at a party. But I wanted to be part of a choreographed movement. Um, and what the funny thing is, I remember when I went to university, I remember Googling for any sort of dance things, but I didn't find anything that fit. And then it was probably a few months into my, um, when I started at Pivotal. So I started at Pivotal Labs as a software engineer in January 2014. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was in April 2014 that I was sitting around in the office and it just hit me. It's like, wow, wait, I'm earning money. Uh, I, I can pay, I can find a dance class and pay to go to dance class. That, that's how it started. And so I, I Googled on the computer uh, and I found a, uh, a dance studio, a dance and fitness studio nearby. And then I clicked dance and there were all of these different classes. And I was like, which one do I do? Because um, I knew I wanted, I knew the, st- the kind of thing I wanted. I knew it wasn't ballet. I knew it wasn't contemporary. I knew it wasn't jazz. But I didn't really know what to call the, mm. the kind of dance I wanted. Anyway, so I found this one dance called music video. And I thought, ooh, music video. That sounds like the kind of thing <laughs> I want. Because awesome. the kind of things you see in a music video. <laughs> But, but even though I'd found this music video class, there were two or three different people who taught it at different times. And so I remember clicking on the first one and going, mm, I'm not sure. Then I clicked on the second teacher and um, he just stood out for me. Um, his name was Joel and he had this, this picture that was like him posing with his hand on his, by the side of his face. And I remember being like, I'm gonna go to his class. And the funny thing is <laughs> Again, that we're now- Again, energy, right? Like feeling. Yeah. And the funny thing is now like we're, we're really close. I helped him, the, the current dance school that I dance at is, is owned by him and I helped him found it and I built the first website and we're really good friends. And whenever people see us interact now, they say, oh, you're like brother and sister, the way you bicker and the way you, um, so it's quite funny because it all came down to that first, first decision. But anyway, yeah, so I turned up to my first dance class um, that Joelle was teaching and I was sh- rubbish. I couldn't keep up. Um, I stood at the front, I'm quite short, so I had to anyway to see, and there were these, all these people there that were so good, but um, I just didn't care, and what's hilarious is I went home, I went home, and I've been doing this ever since, and I filmed myself dancing it in, in I was living with my dad at that point, so I, I, I just started filming it in my dad's living room, and... I sent it to my mom and my mom was like wow you're so good you should put that on YouTube and that's hilarious because that was four years ago and if you look back at that video now it's awful 
Like when I show it to my, when I, when I'm trying to convince my friends to come to dance class um, and they're like, no, but you're so good because they see my Instagram videos now. I say, this is my first ever video. This is how I danced. And that makes them feel comfortable to come because I, I'm showing them like, no, I didn't start like this. This is how I started. So it's a um, good point, right? Like we think that what we can see when we see someone's finally willing to share the video of something, sometimes there has been months or years of practice before we see that right but we see the finished product we're like oh wow look how good you are i could never do that and the other thing yes because the things the, this is another thing about social media right the videos that i post on instagram are obviously some of my best performances there are still times when i have a bad day or times when um i don't think um i've performed it well or i forget the routine i don't post those ones um what's interesting is that a year and a half or so after um i'd done a particular routine joelle repeated it um, at a different dance school that, that he ended up working at. And I dug out, because I filmed every single video of myself because I wanted to improve, um, I dug out um, the old one and I made a video where I put them side by side um, and I, I sent that out to the dance company that I was with at the time and um, sent it to Joelle so that, and they posted that as, as, advertise, as, as an advertisement of, look, look at how someone's progressed through coming to dance class. And yes, she may dance like this now, but she didn't always dance like this. She was still coming to dance class before. Uh, and so it was, it was fascinating for me to see the, to put, to do the side by side. And it was also um, encouraging for a lot of other people just to see um, that just by, you don't have to be a professional dancer. You could just go to dance a couple of times a week and look at the improvement. Like, I feel like, a dancer now even though I go to dance class maybe two to four times a week if that well oh my there's so many things in here I want to unpack so many good one things thing, one yeah. thing I should clarify though is when I say dance company I'm not part I should just say it's 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 an open dance school it's like a dance business I'm not part of an official dance company mm. or dance troupe in that sense got it got it yeah so yeah that makes sense that makes sense there is a I got what you meant but there is a distinction between those mm -hmm. things right uh, so you go to your first class and, mm -hmm. and as you say you're rubbish and then you go home and you film yourself did you think oh I don't want to go again I can't do this or did you just say I just need to get better at this or practice or what what happened after that I said wow that class that I went to those girls that I was dancing around and who who I had no business studying in front of um which I don't actually believe I had no business standing in front of them but you know they might think that I want to be as good as them and the only way I'm going to get to be as good as them is if I keep going and I don't get embarrassed um, and what's what's brilliant is that after going to two classes I was moved from a project um, within the pivotal office to a remote to an off-site project um, which meant that going to those classes was no longer convenient for me and I found that Joelle taught the same class in the in another branch of the, the dance school that I was going to then. And so I turned up to, to that class and he made a comment of, because he'd seen me in the first couple of classes because I was this girl that wasn't very good that was standing at the front. <laughs> and he said, oh, I thought you'd given up. And I said, oh no, I've just been uh, moved onto a project that doesn't make those classes convenient for me. And so I have to come to, to, the, to this, I was lucky that I see you're teaching um, here as well, which is on my way home. So 
um, that was brilliant because he now uses now years later when there are people who come and they maybe don't get everything the first time and they're thinking, oh, this um, I should stop coming or is there an easier class I can go to? Joelle also always says, you see that girl over there? Yeah, you saw how well she danced today. Before she couldn't dance, she was completely rubbish. And now look, it's because she kept on coming instead of trying to find an easier class. Or um, the other thing that he started doing was encouraging everyone to film. So what would happen was, normally the people who filmed were the really good dancers who wanted to have like a showcase thing at the end. So they were like, oh, film me, film me. But I was always the person that even if I was not getting it right and I was bumbling about, I was I would ask people to film me. And so Joelle said, you know, I'm going to start getting everyone to film because at that point I wasn't posting anything on Instagram because it was all just for me. And so he, he knew that I was taking these videos to then go home and watch and watch and watch. And he wanted other people in this class to improve as well. And so he started telling everyone, start filming like this girl does because go home and watch yourself and, and see how you can improve. And it wasn't done in a way, because remember, these are, you know, the people attending these classes are, you know, individual people who just pay to come to a class. There wasn't any um, pressure behind it. There wasn't any like, oh, if you're not good enough, you know, don't come back or if you don't improve. It wasn't like that at right, all. Right, it's not a dance movie like I watch, right? <laughs> exactly. It was just like, a, hey, if you want to get better at this, then this is a good way to do it. And so don't, don't be shy, film yourself, stand in the front, you know, keep coming. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think and my attitude to dance, I think, is what's helped me be successful in other things, whether it's academics or, or tech, because I've always wanted to surround myself with people better than me because I'm competitive with myself and I want to always be better. And so um, it was brilliant because the when I had to go to the other branch, so the second branch of the dance school, that area was an area filled with, it was a more family area. So the women who went to that class were older, they were uh, they were more mother, they were mothers. And so um, Joelle was actually making the routines easier. And I remember there was one day that he came up to me and he said, Nadia, you can now go back to the other branch. Um, because I got comfortable in the older branch because I was the best there I went after after a, some months I became the best one there even though I still wasn't that good um and then one day he said no it's time for you to go back and so uh I ended up being back in in the pivotal office um but I still kept on going to the other branch because I was like oh I'm the best one here and also fewer people would go there would only be sometimes it was just me sometimes there were two people so I was paying um like you know price of an open class but getting private tuition or close to and so but the other class you know which was in a more you know it's a hip area younger people going people who are much better those classes were always packed but Joel said to me I know you'll get you're comfortable here but go back because that's how you're going to get to the next level because you've already improved over these last few months and so I guess the general the thing that I took away from that and I think I've always known it is always trying to surround yourself with people who are better than you because you're gonna just keep growing. And hopefully the other thing that I found in dance is, as I've gone through different dance schools, there have been some environments where there are people who are better than you or maybe not better than you, but they they don't want you to improve or they don't like if you're trying to be better. And those kind of environments or those kind of people I've stayed away from. But now in this new company that Joelle's founded, that I've been part of founding, all the sort of amazing supportive people who want to grow and grow with everyone has sort of come with Joelle over the years, including me. And so now we've got this dance company where everyone is just supporting, you know, everyone else to get better. We're all trying to grow together. We're all learning things from one another. And we just we just keep 
raving about how we've created such an amazing community and it would be amazing if all workplaces and all organizations had such a vibe amongst all of their people mm. well yeah it's it's really good uh it it's interesting i love what he says about uh go back because get yourself you know be on it's like almost like be uncomfortable again because mm. you've reached to this level it's like there's this place in which we can get very comfortable with the level that we're at Yes. Right. So you could have stayed there because you could have been the best one. Let's be honest. That feels good. Right. I'm, I mean, mm-hmm. I would totally want to be like, <laughs> I don't like those situations where I'm not the best one. But then I remind myself, OK, get rid of your ego. If you really want to get better, do you want to feel good about like, you know, being the best one or do you really want to get better at this skill? Yes. Right. Indeed. It's a good it's a good decision point. What a, what a smart uh, what a smart piece of wisdom that he gave you there to do that. You know, uh, and it sounds like you would have that was sort of your ilk anyway yes it was but I think it was touching for me that he made me see sooner that um and I think this is where it comes when you've got people in your life like mentors or teachers who are there to point out now's the time because I would have probably not said to myself so it it was a very proud moment for me when he said now you should go back to the, the Shoreditch branch because I was like oh I've also, I mean, I always want to be around better people. And I had gotten, I did like the feeling of being the best one in the in the other branch. But it was also his recognition of, I can see that you've improved and I want you to get better. So I'm I'm pushing you to say, now, now's the time to go. And so it was also actually a proud moment for me as well, even though I was of, I would have been inclined eventually to say, no, now I need to get to the next step. Mm, yeah, I th- so and I think that makes sense. Mm, it's always great when you have that teacher person or mentor, mentee, mentor sorry who's always trying to push you to the next level and has got your back and wants to see you improve right they can see where they there you are and they're like okay now what's next let's let's keep going they can see that you you obviously have some facility or talent with it and some ability or some ability to learn and grasp the the principles that you're learning Mm. and they want you to go further yes so um uh how was there ever a moment where you, was there ever in the few, years, the few years you've been dancing, was there ever a moment you wanted to give up or you felt really dejected or no? Has it all been, pick yourself up pretty quickly? See, the other thing about dance is, separate to how well you do in any given class, it's so hard for me to explain the way you can just forget everything. You become a different person in that room because each so you get addicted to that feeling. So, the, so there's two things going on. There's the, look, I'm getting better. I'm, I'm being a better performer. And that in and of itself is fun. Um, but there's also the, wow, I have been someone I would never be in real life. Whether there's like, you know, there's always a drama element to it. Because every single class, it's a different song. And you're being this person or that person. You're, you're maybe, you're being someone that, you know, whether there's like a, um, a sexual element to it, right? You're, you're performing for, to, for a certain character um, or if there's like a rough, aggressive uh, nature to it um, or if there's a more uh, a calm, uh, sensual element, like you're being someone different all the time and um, that 
you can never give up on that once you've tried it once it's it's no matter whether you're feeling really on whether you're feeling a bit down or there are just things that you're stressed about for the one hour or an hour and a half that you're in dance class you're someone else you just forget about it and so that's why over the years I don't think anyone ever thinks about giving up because it's precisely not that competitive environment where you're being judged and watched for how well you're doing it's this safe space where you can really come out of your comfort zone and just just be someone who you're not Mm, it's a, it's about the journey and it's about the expression rather than learning to dance in a very specific way and be good at it, be competitive with somebody yeah. else. So I guess so my long term goal is to be a really good dancer. I'd love to I'd love for someone to watch a video of me and think I was a professional dancer. But short term, that hour experience is amazing. So, you know, I would never want to give up on that. Even let's assume someone said, Nadia, you are never going to improve at dance any more than where you're currently at. I would still keep going to class because that one hour is fun and I'm exercising. That's the other thing. You're exercising for an hour, but it's not, <laughs> right. it's not like a fitness class or you're not going for a run. You're dancing in a studio and you're looking at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's, and it's such a good benefit. I mean, I'm, I'm curious about how, you know, how has it supported your work or your speaking? Has, you know, can you see any differences in your professional life because you've been dancing? Yes, I guess. So in the sense that um, when you're a good you have to get comfortable with looking at yourself in the mirror and being a different character. And when you're speaking, some of the, the best talks are a performance. And I think sometimes, whether it's how I stance, my, like the stance I put on or how I, um, I don't tend to move about the stage a lot, but even just slight movements, it's kind of like a dance. You're, 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 you know, you're, you want to invite the audience in. Um, and even if it's just, this idea of what are the elements of a great performance, um, you can apply that to speaking, whether it's, so so the, so the when you're watching dance, what's amazing is when we call it light and shade. So you're doing very fluid movements and then bam, 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 out of nowhere, you have some sharp moves and then you can go fluid again. Well, it's when you're talking, right? So I could be telling you something and I'm building up and then I change my tone and that can wake the audience up. And just you can apply how you move your body, that makes an exciting performance, to how you speak, and that makes an exciting um, a, a talk, right? An engaging talk. So things like that you can also learn. Just the art of performance. That makes a, that makes a ton of sense to me. It, it, I mean, it really does, because I, uh, you know, I mean, I was a singer and a performer and, you know, had played five instruments and had a radio show when I was, you know, like in my formative years in high school and things. And I learned a lot about just even, I don't know if you want to call it performance, but even just talking with people in in a meeting Mm -hmm. or giving even a presentation of something, a business presentation. It can teach you a lot about how you use words and volume and small movements Mm -hmm. that can really help you. And I think also, I wonder if it makes you feel any more confident on stage. Maybe you already felt confident. I think um, being a good dancer can also, I think I, because I did a lot of, I used to be shy speaking in big groups when I was younger. So socially, I've always been, one-on-one, I've always been great. But even if I, you know, I was part of a book group or I had to read something in a school assembly, um, I would get very nervous. Um, 
And so I forced myself to do debating so that I was used to having to argue things, even things I didn't necessarily believe in, in order to get um, less uh, scared. And so already that that made me more confident. That was where my confidence in speaking really, you know, went to the next level. But when you dance, I think there's this body confidence that's very important too. So over the last couple of years, I've been trying to, um, you know, get leaner, get stronger. Um, I used to be an athlete at university, but then I went into tech and there was all this junk food around. And I was also trying to maintain myself on my university hours, which meant I get to work. I mean, my university hours regarding sleep, which wasn't, weren't very many. Um, I liked being a night owl, but also uh, an early bird, didn't work. Um, so I'd be very tired at work and with Pivotal you're pairing all the time so you've got to be awake so then I'd start snacking on junk food and so the other interesting thing is my first dance video when I look back and I look at my face and I look at my belly I'm very like oh gosh is that what I look like and it's not like huge I wasn't like really fat or anything I was probably um, you know how many maybe just under 10 kilograms heavier than I was now and I didn't I never looked really overweight but I'm not happy with how I looked and the the it's funny actually because the dance shoot on um that I did on this this weekend just gone um I was able to wear an outfit that bared my stomach and I wouldn't normally this is another thing right day to day I'm not going to go out and wear an outfit that bears my stomach it's just not something that I want to do um but for the dance thing I was this person that wore like you know I basically had my my lower half showing uh, on my on my belly and I felt comfortable confident and comfortable doing that and that's years of dance and other exercise as well and I guess what I was trying to say was that when you dance you no matter how you look you get body confident as well like yes um I am me this is me I can perform and I can move my body in certain ways and that can help sometimes when you stand on stage and you stand in front of people you're like this is me um and there's that as well yeah I think I love that idea of like body confidence um there's just something about that whole idea of body confidence that I I think it can I just I feel like body confidence can transcend and give you other kind of confidence too um so I think that's great that you had like you did the debate and you did this oh go ahead mm -hmm. well I was gonna say I want to be clear that I personally um when I talk about body confidence that doesn't mean I am more confident in my body because I'm slimmer and leaner Mm. that was a goal I had but I want to say that just doing dance and Um, doing that performance no matter what your body shape you can see body confidence in mainly you know the women that come and dance so we've got like we've got plus size models who come and dance and who and who you can see even people who um you know one of our teachers for example she talks about sometimes wishing she had abs or wishing she had less fat but when she she does a lot of heels classes she feels so amazing and she says you know what i love my body i love me as i am look at me um and so i just wanted to make it clear that the body confidence did not equal necessarily losing weights um or being or being trim or having abs that was just a goal that i had and and dance hump with that but even before that I felt more confident in with my body um, as it was before, uh, just through dancing. Right. Yeah. That's and that's how I see body confidence. Body confidence is about feeling comfortable no matter what your shape looks like. Right. No matter mm-hmm. you know, feeling confident within yourself. Um, you know, that's how I sort of look at it. It, it, you know, rather than, oh, now I look good. So now I'm going to be confident in my body. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's something about that, especially for women that can happen. So I think it's a really good point to make. 
I want to go to this idea. <laughs> I want to go back to something you said, which is that you founded a dance studio. Did I get that correct? Okay, that's. A, if, I know if Joel was listening, he'd probably go, mm, "Excuse me, Nadia, you founded <laughs> you founded a dance school." Um, no, I was just. So what happened was, um, Joel was at one company and. Um, he had his vision for how things should be done and so but he didn't have any business expertise so so me and this other woman who runs a chain of restaurants um, we helped him so things like just I set up the first website just using Squarespace but I set it up for him Um, we helped him like register the company name register the domain you know all that like register the the entity all all those sort of things we helped him do that get the initial studios Um, and so I was I I feel like, you know, I was very much a founding member. Um, And and I I mean, it's things like now the dance company is bringing out a fashion line and the the, the clothes have been designed by one of the girls who goes to dance. And she's a friend of mine. She was someone that's like me, followed Joelle through two dance schools to finally get to this current one called At Your Beats. And um, now At Your Beat is bringing out a designing range designed by one of the members. And so, you know, You've got me who helps with the technical things. Um, my friend Alex, who's a, who works in fashion and helps design the um, helps design the, the, their own fashion range. You've got B, who runs restaurants, who supplies food and catering for the events, and that is what is so fascinating about our community. Or, for example, when we do photo shoots, we've got the photographer um, who 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 comes and does the the, the the photography. So there's such a breadth of different skills. Um, in amongst all of us and we're all feeding in our different talents to the dance school so I, I when I said co-founded I helped to found because I was one of the original you know two people who helped Joel um, but you know he's the one that's running the business and he's had support from other people and obviously I've got my day job so you know I wasn't paid for that I have I pay a discount on my membership but um, apart from that I was just doing it as a friend uh, yeah Got it. That makes sense. I I, I I can totally see that as as helping to found it and being a founding member of that. What a great way to combine your dance talents and um, and your tech skills, right? Yes, that's what's so cool. <laughs> and this is what I love about tech. Um, you can go and work in many industries, whether it's education, whether it's publishing, whether it's dance, and you can your skills are our skills are applicable across to any industry, and that's why I like it. For for sure, there's a lot of ways that you can support other people you know joelle is this amazing dancer but doesn't have this the body of knowledge that you have about technology and and online presence and things like that so that's fantastic that you know that you can support you know you can use complementary talents and support him and actually you just reminded me like so we have you know a facebook group for the dance um the people who go to dance regularly um it's and um, you see posts like, oh, I need help with this kind of thing. Does anyone work in this industry? So I've been tagged before on technical things. And you've got people I've danced with for ages. Oh, I didn't know you did software. Because it's never even come up. There was one woman who, um, for years, you know, we're, she's one of my closest friends from dance. And for years, I didn't know what she did and she didn't know what I did. Um, until I found out, you know, two, three years in, that she was an actor actor and then when when my company the one of the, the second office that Theo and I worked out of we ended up next door to an acting agency it was her acting agency and she had no idea what I was doing which was software development um, so what's cool is we we all dance together but outside of work we're helping one another 
um, with with our with the skills that we have from our careers uh, to help other people in their careers, which is completely independent of dance. But dance is what has brought us together. Which is really good too, because we can become so small into our little bubbles of work and meeting folks outside of that in other, you know, in industries can really open our world. And I love how you're all collaborating together on your Facebook page. That's it's great, right? Mm. You, can, you can really multiply your impact and all of that. Yeah. So I want to, um, I kind of want to uh, check in on, um, I want to go back to something that seems to me to be like sort of a theme. Um, this whole idea of practice. Are you somebody who's always, like you did the debate and then you know, you've know you done dance. Are you somebody who's always been really big into practice and the idea of just practicing your skills? Or has there been things that you tried and then you gave up? Do you know what I mean? Because you just seem like a pretty determined person to me. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm someone who likes getting into habits. Mm. Um, it's interesting you should say that because, so I've been learning French since I was 12 and at different levels. So at school, you know, I went to classes. When I went to university, I signed up to um, independent study things and also did like intensive courses in, in the breaks. And now the, the most French I can do, apart from sometimes speaking with French people that I know, is just a bit of Duolingo every morning. And it's funny because I got to the point where I realized that most of my holiday destinations were in Spanish-speaking countries, either Spain or Peru. And I was questioning myself because, you know, I've been doing, you know, I had a 330-day streak on Duolingo, for example. And I'm like, why am I, should I, does it still make sense that I keep learning French? This is kind of the sunk cost fallacy as well. Does it still make sense or should I, like, divert? And I found it really difficult to think about giving up on my French because I was like, I have this idea of I want to get to this level in French. Um, And so... That's one way of basically saying that when I find something that I like and I enjoy and I think will be valuable to me, then I'm very keen on how can I keep practicing it or keep it up in some shape or form so that I don't lose it. And actually, one of the things that makes me sad is that I um, did a lot of economics and maths at university, and particularly the economics, like I've forgotten a lot of it because I just haven't kept it up. And that makes me sad because I've invested so much time in trying to be really good at it, and it's just been forgotten mm. um, but it's inevitable that you're going to forget some things and you to be really good at some things you have to focus in um, well it's true I mean what did you decide about French I'm still doing it and I've decided to uh, try and go to to French speaking countries more and to speak French with the the, the French fr- people that I have with friends that I have who know French, who are either French or speak French. And so what ha- what made you decide to keep speaking French? Because you mentioned the, you know, despite the fact that you go on holiday to a lot of Spanish-speaking countries, you know, was it some cost fallacy? Was it, like, an interest? What what was that? S- some people may say sunk cost fallacy because they'll say, Nadia, looking at your life, you're really not using your French and you don't need to know French. But I took it the other way, which was, wow, I'm actually at a certain level where when I do speak French with a French person, they are surprised and impressed. And I think this is worth investing in. And I do like the language. That's the other thing. I like the language. um, And I do want to explore more France. So it was more that rather than thinking it's sunk cost, it's like I have invested a... I am at a certain level where it's worth still continuing to do it. And I still bump into French people now and again, French speaking people in London. And just that experience of when I speak French and they're like, oh, wow. And then we have a conversation, even those little moments. Like I went for coffee with quite a senior person um, at the the company I'm currently uh, consulting with. 
and we spoke in French for half the time and he was he was blown away and he he you know he now wants to have lunch again where we speak French and so it's helping craft some relationships even even in London yeah I think that makes a lot of sense I mean ultimately it sounds like there was an investment but you really liked the language and there's a lot about connection so it, mm-hmm. you know to me it doesn't sound like it was really the sunk cost fallacy though I'm interested in this whole concept of you know, you know what I mean? Where, where is the line between that sunk cost versus an investment? How do we determine that line? I think that's really interesting. I think the other thing was, I thought, okay, I, it just so happens that the last few years I've been, to, the last three or four of my holidays have been in Spanish-speaking countries. Um, but I, I enjoy my, you know, I wake up every morning, I do some meditation and I do some French and that keeps my brain at least on the language learning track so if it ever became painfully obvious that no you need to learn Spanish now which it's not still investing in French will still help that it should make it easier to pick that up and so it was like well I'm enjoying what I'm doing now and it doesn't prevent me from going down another track when that becomes obvious um and so I guess what I'm saying is if it's if you're if you don't need it and it's not fun then you can question why you're doing it but if you're if it's it's useful you don't necessarily need it but it's useful and you enjoy it and it's not taking away from time that you should be using doing other things then keep doing it mm, that's a, I really like that right if you know if you don't need it and not fun well maybe you should yeah don't do yeah, don't, don't, don't do that <laughs> Have you ever done, have you, have you quit anything because you don't need it and it's not fun? Have you ever come up with that? Yeah, I was part of a, a committee. Um, it was an alumni committee for my um, university. And, you know, at, at first I was flattered to have been chosen. I was like, wow, this is amazing. But then I realized that it became a, it became a chore for me. And, um I was also, I was having to still pay to go to some events, but would end up working because I felt like it was my responsibility because I'd been part of the organizing committee. So I said, this is not fun. It's a good, it's worthwhile to have someone to do this. But for me, it's not fun. I'm not getting that much value out of it. Um, For example, I wasn't interested in expanding my network um, amongst the people who would go into the events because I felt like I had enough of a um, a, a breadth of um, people that I knew from my university, so things like that. So I decided to stop. And actually, a, a different example of giving up on things that's, that are not fun, um, Saron and I, you know, for our podcast, um, and we were, when we both decided to do it, we were already both busy people. And so we said we had a rule, which was like, if this stops being fun, then we need to ask ourselves what we're doing. And so we actually ended up aborting a book. We were reading Refactoring Ruby. We did 12 episodes and we decided it wasn't a right fit. We weren't enjoying it. It wasn't, help, it wasn't leading to interesting discussions. And so we just stopped reading that book. And recently, um, we were reading Ruby Under a Microscope, and I was getting to a point where, you know, it, the conversations weren't fun. Um, we were struggling to understand bits, but we, we, you know, we had a strategy. We were like, okay, let's interview Pat, the author, and see if that helps uncover things or if it gets better. So I, I remember saying to Swan, let's give it one more week and see how we go. And funnily enough, or maybe fortunately, Pat had been listening, had sensed it was getting difficult for us, wrote us a short essay and published it as a GitHub gist. (laughs) That cleared some things up. And then the book also got 
easier and we got over this hump and now we're loving it again so yeah we're you know there you've always got to ask yourself if something's not fun so for, so for example we don't have to do the podcast it's useful to a lot of people but you know if we've got to make sure it's fun as well for us well yeah I want to ask one last question um I, I love that so you, sure. you know there's this what you just said about um the book that you were just reading Ruby Under the Microscope right that was the name mm-hmm. so you said that while you were reading it um, that you, you know, it was like, there was a piece about getting over a hump and then things got mm. easy. You know, he, he wrote this essay for you and then, and then the book got easier. I'm, I'm just curious about, is there anything about getting over the hump that you had to do in dance or any of the things that you've chosen to learn? I think there've been times while I've been doing dance, for example, that, um, I, I felt that my improvement has stagnated, if that makes sense. So I'd watch videos week after week and think, oh, I'm actually just not that good or I'm not getting better or I'll never get better than this. Um, and I think when you get to that point, you have to just say to yourself, no, let's try and be specific. What is it I'm not happy with? So I would watch videos and say, rather than just saying, oh, I'm, I'm just not good enough, I'll say, okay, looking at how I want to dance or looking at the person next to me or whatever it is, what is it that that person did that I'm not doing? Oh, I see. I'm not completely finishing the moves. My arm goes out you know, 80% of the way, but not 100%. And so I actually found a list of two, three things that I wasn't doing. And I was like, let me just focus on one of these. And then I would go to Joelle and go, hey, Joelle, I realize I'm not properly finishing moves. How could I do better? Um, or I realized that I'm not doing this move quickly. And some of them were, uh, Nadia, you're rushing, so try and like hold back a bit. One of them was, oh, the reason why you find that move difficult is because your core's not strong enough, so go do some sit-ups. You know, I got actionable feedback, and then I could just say, okay, right now, I'm just focusing on being sharper. So I would go to all classes, including heels classes, but I wouldn't wear heels, because I was like, no, my current goal is just getting sharper. So I'm not gonna wear heels, I'm not gonna worry about that for now. So so when you find yourself, I think, where you're, you're, you're stagnating, Try and find one to three things that you think you're lacking in and then just focus on one of them to start and say, how do I get better at this one thing? And then check that off and then go to the next thing. And then bit by bit, you'll see that you're continuing to grow. That's really great. So what I heard there is... Uh, there were two things like one was getting actionable feedback whether that's like watching mm. your own performance or talking to Joelle or you know anybody like a mentor and then focusing on you know identifying the things that you want to improve and focusing on one small thing at a time that's like a way to get over yes. the hump I think that's really great I, I think uh I, I think that's so important for all of us, which is it can feel super overwhelming. Like, why am I unhappy? And why is it not quite feeling mm-hmm. the same way? Everybody mm-hmm. hits a hump. And, and when you're learning mm-hmm. anything, right? You, you, and you just have mm-hmm. to figure out, well, how, what is the problem, right? I think I do that. Sorry, I do, I do that in my life as well. So that sometimes I'll just feel dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, and I'll just say to myself wait wait let's sit down let's try and even write out what is not feeling right it goes back to that feel right thing and then sometimes I realize oh no I just have this maybe it's some uneasiness of feeling like I should be more successful in this or that but when I list everything out things are good but just trying to always when you have a feeling of discomfort or you're unhappy with something if you can just get out something specific Mm -hmm. 
it's so helpful. Right, because we're all going to feel discomfort. And it's like, what happens when you feel discomfort is really fascinating to me, right? What do you do? What choices do you make when you mm. feel discomfort? Because discomfort comes anytime you're learning and growing and you're always trying new things, right? Because you've never done something before. Yeah, so, so I love that awesome. idea of just of discomfort and how we get over the over our discomfort in in learning new things and growing as people. And I also really love what you said about stepping back and trying to get really clear about where that problem is located, right? Where the unhappiness or Mm. discomfort is rather than, you know, saying it's the whole thing or throwing, as we say, you know, the throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Let's locate it. Uh, Nadia, it has been so much fun talking with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I never knew, I never know where these conversations are going to go. And I, it's one of the things I love the most. And I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on dance and, and, and practicing and, and what we just, even what we just talked about, like getting over humps. Uh, so thank you so yeah. much for coming on the show. Oh, I'm so glad I had a great time.